Hey friends, welcome back to the Bible and Life podcast where we believe that being shaped and formed by the Bible is the key to a flourishing life and that Bible teaching ought to be done in everyday language, that it should be blue jeans theology. Super excited to have you on this episode as we look at a really important text out of Philippians chapter 3. All right, thanks for joining me on this episode. Before we jump into the text I want to look at today, just a couple of updates that are super meaningful and encouraging to me. I thought I would share them with you. The first is I uh, was tagged in a Facebook post yesterday by a pastor in the Philippines. They've been using my online courses, Bible survey, particularly right now, just to teach and train some of their people. And his post was uh, just super encouraging. They've made it through seven out of the eight chapters in the biblical story. And he said that now his students can walk from Genesis to Malachi and kind of tell the whole biblical story, at least hit the highlights and the big chunks because of that course. And man, that's my heart behind that. And so it's so encouraging to me that those materials are being used in a place like the Philippines and they're strengthening God's people and strengthening his church for the sake of service. So man, that was super encouraging to me. Another thing that just I wanted to share with you was I was in a a little morning prayer and worship gathering at a local church here in Boise. One of the Psalms that was read had to do with declaring the mighty works of God. And as I sat there reflecting on that line and uh, praying through that line, it was almost as if the Lord said to me, John, you, your guys' financial situation is an opportunity to declare my mighty works. And so I want to declare God's mighty works. You know, we, uh, my wife and I have not really had a massive steady income. My wife works a part-time job and that's our consistent income. And I'm working from home and I'm giving myself full time to creating this podcast, creating the online courses that I mentioned uh, are being used in the Philippines and elsewhere. Um, And uh, I'm doing this because I really believe this is what God has put on my plate and there's a huge need for it. But in the meantime, man, I I don't have a consistent income and I've been the primary breadwinner for our family. And and yet, uh, we came to the end of 2018 completely in the black with money uh, in the savings to get us started for January and February of 2019. And that is an example of God's mighty works. People ask me, how are you making it financially? And I'm like... All I can say is God is being faithful and providing for us largely through the generosity of his people. If it wasn't for the generosity of God's people, my wife and I would be in a world of hurt right now. So um, there's just been a number of people who have donated through the donate button on my website. There's been a bunch of people who have uh, signed on as patrons on my Patreon page supporting this podcast. Uh, There have been other people that have just said, man, we believe in what you're doing and random checks have showed up in the mail. Um, And 2018 was an incredibly expensive year for our family just for a variety of reasons. And yet, and yet uh, we ended the year in the black and all bills are paid and God is good. And we, we uh, have made it successfully financially. And that's really uh, in a large part uh, an expression of faithfulness of God and the generosity of God's people. So thank you to all of you that might be listening who have supported financially, who have given to us, who believe in this ministry of online Bible teaching resources and the impact it's having here in the States and around the world in places like the Philippines or Australia or uh, India or uh, wherever it is. So thank you for your generosity. Um, Through you, God is displaying his mighty works in our life. All right. 
I want to look at a passage out of the end of Philippians chapter 3 today, a passage that I've been really reflecting on and meditating on for quite a little while, and a passage that I actually shared in um, my sermon yesterday at the church I preached at yesterday. Uh, But I want to share it maybe a little differently today, maybe just a few extra thoughts that I didn't get into the sermon, just because I think this passage is so incredibly uh, meaningful and significant, and it helps form our understanding of what it means to be the people of God here and now, wherever we live. And so whether you live like me in the United States, whether you live in Canada, whether you live in India, whether you live in uh, Australia or New Zealand, wherever you live, this text really has the power to help us think about what it means to be the people of God now and what our responsibility is as the people of God now. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 3, I want to pick up in verse 17, and I just want to walk down through the last few sentences of the end of Philippians chapter 3 and get us to reflect on what's going on in this text and help us see why this text is so important for our understanding of what it means to be God's people, to be a church in the world we live in now. All right, so... Philippians 3.17 says this, Brothers, brothers and sisters, uh, that's Paul's way of addressing the church because one of the major imagery for the church in the Bible and the New Testament is a family. So, brothers and sisters, he says, join in following my example. Now, if you read the preceding context, what you'll see is the example specifically in the immediate context is Paul's willingness to give up everything for the sake of Christ. He he says in the preceding context, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so that's the specific example is this 100% all out dedication to Jesus that shaped Paul's life, that shaped his passions, that shaped the entire direction and orientation of his life. And he says, join in following that example, brothers and sisters, this, this dedication and devotion to Jesus that really drives our life so that our life revolves around Jesus and Jesus' things, and so that we see Jesus as the number one priority in our life. And the imagery Paul uses in the preceding context is really of assets and liabilities, and we see Jesus as the number one treasure, the number one asset in our life, and everything else compared to him is loss. And so, join in following my example, he says, and observe, pay attention to those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In other words, other people who live this way, who carry out their life in 100% devotion to Jesus, who live for Jesus, whose lives, whatever their occupation is, whatever um, their specifics of their life are, their way of life is driven by and governed by uh, being sold out to Jesus, where Jesus is the chief treasure of their life. So he says, pay attention to those people. Why? Because he wants, he wants all of us to imitate that. He wants our life to look like that so that our lives revolve around Jesus, that Jesus is the hub in the wheel of our life and everything is attached to that and everything is oriented around Jesus himself because Jesus is the chief treasure of our life. Then he goes on in verse 18 and and says, the reason you need to pay attention to those who walk this way is because there's plenty of other people who don't walk this way, who, who whose way of life is totally different. And if you pay attention to them and just 
imitate them and just kind of go with the flow with them, your life's not going to look like Jesus. So verse 18, he says, for many walk, for giving the reason, for many walk, many conduct their life, carry out their life, of whom I've often told you, Paul says, and now tell you even weeping that, man, the thought of all these people who are living uh, contrary to the way of Jesus breaks his heart. He says that many walk um, as enemies of the cross of Christ. Um, and scholars debate whether these people once professed faith in Jesus and, and their lifestyle just doesn't live up to it or whatnot. I tend to think that's the way it is. Otherwise, why would Paul call them enemies of the cross of Christ? But in the long run, it doesn't matter. His point is, whether they profess faith in Jesus, whether they have been a part of a church and now aren't, or whatever it is, whether they say they're Christians and not, their pattern of their life goes against What is modeled by Jesus and Paul and those like Paul, it goes against the self-sacrifice and self-giving love of the cross. They, They carry out their lives as enemies, as those who are opposed to Jesus and what Jesus um actually accomplished on the cross, that their lifestyle is different. And then he describes them a little bit further in verse 19. He says this, he says, these people, that their end is destruction. Their life is uh, really walking on a dead end road. So their end is destruction. And it's just whether that destruction shows up now, whether it's eternal destruction, the end, their, their pattern of life just leads to destruction and devastation and heartache. So their, their end is destruction whose God, he says, is their appetite. That means the thing they're really serving is their own desires, their own pleasures, what they want in life. Whatever they want, that's what they go for. Whatever makes them feel good, that's what they do. They live for their appetites. And whose glory is in their shame. In other words, they boast about, they celebrate things they should actually be ashamed of. Like they talk about what they did on the weekend. They talk about stuff they do in life or maybe as a politician, they, they get all excited and they brag about things that if they had any more sense or they understood what life was really about or they had the wisdom of Jesus, man, they would actually be ashamed of. They, they glory in things they should be ashamed of. And he says they set their mind on earthly things. That is the the orientation of their life is just on this world and living for, you know, things of this world and on the culture around them and on really, they just kind of go with the flow and they go with what everyone else is doing. And they've just absorbed and marinated in the culture that they're living in. And that's what, that's what really occupies their, the focal point of their life. That's really what their life is oriented around. And so they're pretty much just living the way everyone else is. Their mind is set on the things of the culture, the dominant culture around them. So again, wherever you live, um, whether it's Canada, United States, or any wherever you're listening to this podcast at, you are part of a culture. And that culture has certain values. That culture has certain things that it says are important. That culture tells you certain ways you should do life. Here in America, you know, our culture is driven by consumerism and individualism and entertainment uh, and technology, right? That, and that, that stuff shapes our thinking, shapes our values, shapes what's important to us. And whatever culture you're living in has certain values and priorities and agendas and assumptions about the world and about life and the way life is supposed to work. And that dominant culture then either leads you towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And so what he's saying here is, these people set their minds on earthly things, and we are all 
kind of marinating or we are all swimming in a stream of culture that could occupy our mind. And we really need to be willing to push pause and say, man, what's really important? What does Jesus say life should be about? What does Jesus say is important? What does Jesus say is uh, the most important things in life? That's what Paul is calling us to do. And so, uh, he says, join in following my example and join in carrying out your life the way I have, revolving it around Jesus because, man, the dominant culture around you and the people around you, they live differently. And you need concrete examples of discipleship in order to follow them. And then in verse 20, what he does, this is the part I really want us to focus on, is he, he gives us the ultimate reason why we need to imitate his following of Jesus, why we need to imitate others whose life is, is dedicated to Jesus, and why we need to make sure we're resisting just the dominant culture around us and the way of life that's all around us. Why do we need to do that? Well, look at verse 20. Philippians 3.20 says, For, giving a reason, for our citizenship is in heaven. So, The way of life around us, the dominant culture around us, their minds are set on earthly things, the things of this world, the things of uh, this culture that we're living in, right? But our citizenship is in heaven, um, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the major reason we need to live a different pattern of life is because we have a different citizenship. We are not just citizens of whatever country we're living in, that the gospel isn't just about getting your sins forgiven, getting a ticket to heaven, and then going to church services while you wait to go there. That's not primarily what the gospel is about. The gospel is that Jesus is king, risen from the dead. He's offering forgiveness of your sins, and he's calling you to follow him and be a part of his kingdom. That's the gospel. And so when you come to faith in Jesus, you you get new citizenship papers, and you're transferred from the the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. And now you're, you're a citizen of heaven, and churches are like colonies of heaven on earth. And when Paul says this, when he says, our citizenship is in heaven, man, this is subversive language in Paul's day. Subversive language in our day. He's actually playing off the Philippians situation. Uh, the Philippians, uh, the, the, the city of Philippi had this high honor bestowed on it. It was a Roman colony because of uh, significant events in its history. It was treated as a Roman colony and bestowed this highest honor that a city could be given in the first century world in which the Apostle Paul writes this. And so here's Philippi, a Roman colony. Philippi is in northern Greece. Um, It is about a thousand miles or so away from Rome, but it's treated like a little piece of Rome in northern Greece. It has special tax privileges. It has uh, other special benefits. And they're proud of this heritage. They're proud of this citizenship. They're like a colony of Rome in northern Greece. And Paul says, take that imagery, take what you've experienced as citizens of Philippi, and uh, and let's think about what it means to be a church. To be the people of God means you are like a colony of heaven on earth. You're a colony of heaven in Philippi. You're a colony of heaven in the, in the U.S. of A. You're a colony of heaven in Toronto or Vancouver in Canada. You're a colony of heaven in Lahore in Pakistan. You're a colony of heaven in Newcastle, Australia. Wherever you're listening to this, uh, the church is a colony of heaven 
in that place on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that is supposed to shape our culture. So why do we need to make sure we're we're not setting our mind on earthly things, that we're living the way Paul lived and those like Paul lived? Well, because we have a new culture, because we have a new citizenship. We are citizens of heaven, and our job is to flesh out the culture of heaven wherever we live here and now. And he says, your citizenship is in heaven, and from there you wait eagerly for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Those titles, Savior and Lord, those were regularly applied to the emperor throughout the Roman Empire. These are imperial titles, and that's why this language is almost treasonous. It's so subversive. What Paul is saying is, no, Caesar is not Lord, and no, Caesar is not your Savior, and you don't look to him for your safety and security and blessing. You look to Jesus. Um, He's the one you depend on for security. He's the one you depend on for peace and blessing. And so you don't look to your government to provide that for you. You look to Jesus. You don't expect your government. You don't, whatever it is, there's a whole host of things we could look to for security and blessing. And he's reminding us that no, our Savior, the one we depend on and look to for help and security and blessing, that's Jesus. Our leader, our Lord, that's Jesus. He's king. And we're citizens of his kingdom. And, and then Paul ends this little section by saying, And Jesus will transform the body of our humble state. This fallen fleshly body that dies, well, he's going to transform it into conformity with the body of his glory, meaning his resurrection body. There's a resurrection day coming when Jesus' kingdom will come full on. Right now we experience it in part as citizens of heaven, but someday we'll experience it in full. Um, And he will resurrect us and give us a new glorified body like his resurrection body. And he'll do that by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And someday his kingdom will come in fullness. And someday everything will do his will the way it's supposed to. Everything will yield itself to him. The earth will be renewed and restored. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And everything will work the way it's supposed to. We'll have new glorified bodies. There'll be no more pain or mourning or death because the first things have passed away. And the kingdom of our King Jesus will come in fullness. But in the meantime... In the meantime, we are citizens of heaven, and our job is to to export the culture of heaven to where we live right now, wherever we're living. Our job as a church, our job as a Christian family, our job as the people of God is to display to the world what would it look like if Jesus were in charge. We are, we are supposed to be a colony of heaven that provides a contrast society to the society we live in. We're supposed to be a city set on a hill. And that means we, we paint a contrast for the world around us of a different way of doing life. The way of doing life if Jesus were in charge. So if Jesus were in charge, how would husbands and wives treat each other? If Jesus were in charge, how would parents talk to their kids and and raise their kids? If Jesus were in charge, how would the wealthy treat the poor? And how would the poor um, relate to the wealthy? If Jesus were in charge, how would the, the different races get along? If Jesus were in charge, how would... Um, 
how would we handle our sexuality and use our sexuality? If Jesus were in charge, how would we interact with our neighbors and how would we respond to somebody who has hurt us or wronged us? If Jesus were in charge, what would life be like? We are citizens of heaven, and that's what it means is we're now supposed to prayerfully and humbly seek the Lord Jesus and, and have the discernment to try to figure out what would it look like to live now. At this point in time, in this world, whatever city you are living in, for the sake of Jesus and his honor and his glory, if Jesus were king, how would we live? And those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, that's exactly what we've said. We've said, Jesus, you are king. You are Lord, risen from the dead. And I submit my life to you to follow you. So, we are citizens of heaven, exporting heaven's culture into the world we live in right here and now. So wherever you're at, um, may you humbly and prayerfully seek the wisdom to live out the will of Jesus in your context for Jesus' honor. May you become an example like Paul was of what it looks like to live your life 100% fully for Jesus. When you fall short, may you just humble yourself before Jesus, thank him for his grace, pick yourself up and get back to serving him wherever you're at for the glory of Jesus, because we're citizens of heaven here and now, and we eagerly wait for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Bible and Life. God bless you guys, and we will see you next time on The Bible and Life.